Hey, Daniel. How's it going? Hey, Evan. Happy Valentine's Day. Recording here on a special holiday. Um, here in Pennsylvania, we had a foot of snow yesterday. So that's what's fun for us. Uh, and uh, I'm getting wings for dinner because <laughs> why not order in when the wife comes home late? How, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, oh, I forgot to hit start on our recorder. So let me do that. We're recording everybody, but on the time recorder. So <laughs> clearly I'm a little distracted today. Uh, record the podcast. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, it is Valentine's Day. I have no plans. Uh, at least my other half will be home. So that will be nice. Um, but yeah, uh, nothing planned. Um, and I think it's fitting that we're recording this episode. I, we actually predetermined our episode name. It is the love between IT and revenue cycle. Um, so we're going to gush over both and uh, talk talk about it with today's guest. But um, yeah, I'm excited. And a foot of snow is crazy. Um, happy to report on the West Coast. I had two days of sunshine and now it's pouring rain again. So <laughs> that sounds about right (laughs) that's normal here though so all right did you use ai to come up with today's title or is this uh something of your own making um this was something of our guests making of something she said in our prep call and then i just kind of rolled with it so (laughs) great well let's jump into introductions here uh i'll introduce our, our only guest here today and they have served as a healthcare executive for community hospitals academic medical centers national healthcare organizations and a healthcare startup. So I'm not sure what else uh, could be on that list. Beyond that, it's a really, really exhaustive list and has led Epic build and installation for revenue cycle and has overseen all sorts of things like uh, revenue integrity, coding, QA, um, other technologies, and currently is the vice president of finance and chief revenue cycle officer for Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Welcome, Heather, to the podcast. Thanks. That's great. Um, confession that I forgot today was actually Valentine's Day until my husband presented me a card and I panicked. So I had to run out at lunch and buy something. And there are exactly four cards left at any local CVS. So if anyone's, well, they'll be listening later. If you missed it, you're in trouble. You're making a card. So that's me tonight. I don't have a card yet and <laughs> hoping they have something at the grocery store. It's bad. I was once on a call, I was having a one-on-one with one of my AVPs and um, it was late, 5.30 at night or so. And I said, I have to go Like in the middle of our conversation. He said, what's going on? I said, today is my husband's birthday and I have completely forgotten. <laughs> so at 5.30, I had to improvise and get the girls to make something. And he just laughed at me. So he's used to it. <laughs> Life of a revenue cycle leader. You don't know what day it is. All you know is that this day you're supposed to collect this much money. That's all you know. Or more, right? Or more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I haven't done a card. I uh, also am helping with a conference tomorrow. And they sent me this thing called a meeting in a box. And I'm like, can somebody call to make sure I got all the pieces of the meeting in the box? Because... Every day, every hour today, I've gotten a new delivery company dropping something off. So I don't even know how many packages I'm supposed to have to take to this conference center for for our conference tomorrow for HFMA and work it. I'm like, all right, I'll just wig it. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, pivoting us here a little bit, I want to jump into hot topics. And for today, we're going to talk about recruiting, which we have talked about on the podcast before, but not in this light. Uh, so now that we're past the pandemic period, at least what we're calling the pandemic period, what challenges are you experiencing today when it comes to recruiting? You can talk about that in revenue cycle or anything under the sun. Sure. Well, um, I will tell you that I, I pride myself on my rep, on my recruiting abilities. So I'm happy to share with the world all of the struggles of recruiting um, and, and sort of what our approach is today. It, it used to be even more difficult to recruit in the past. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, work from home opportunities. And so, you know, if you were to recruit a, a leader specifically, even staff, they had to drive in. So they had to live local and all that. And if you've 
um, opened up a newspaper or whatever, you realize that Nashville is a pretty hot place to live and it's also incredibly expensive. Um, so it got more and more difficult over time to recruit and retain people in the area. But, you know, obviously now that everybody's working remotely, it's a lot easier. The new trick is how to compete with everybody who is offering the same thing, right? So what's going to be new and unique and interesting about your organization? Um, so I'll start with this. Um, we've started some relationships with local schools so that we, specifically the Nashville Software School, where we're getting some of our developers from, which is great. It gives you know local folks an opportunity to get their foot in the door um, from a you know an IT perspective, and they work on things in revenue cycle. And what could be more exciting? than feeling like you're actually adding value to the healthcare system by improving something in revenue cycle, right? A lot of people come and they don't even know what it is, but they get excited about the fact that they can really make a change. And so um, we are, we're really excited about that relationship and, and keep it going. We get interim folks pretty often. Um, now, I think our challenge is also, you know, the culture in which you've created, right? We, the one here at Vanderbilt, I think is, pretty interesting in that we're very technology driven and um, we're really leaning on our tools uh, to make us more effective and efficient. And, you know, you can, you get to take your perspective from I have to every day to I get to. Um, and here uh, folks get to be creative and they get to work in a safe space and we get to fail together and we get to be better. And I think that's pretty exciting. So I would say, um, you know, when you think about recruiting and you think about how you're going to tell folks about your culture, um, those are some interesting things that people want to hear, that it's new and different, not just the same old. And I think that's, you know, throughout the whole hospital system and healthcare in general, right? People want to be on the cutting edge. They want to know that they're going to make a difference every day, that they're not just going to come in and do a job. And I think um, as leaders, we have an, an obligation to create an environment that supports that. And then you can really recruit and retain, retain those folks. Um, I think it's proven revenue cycle here at Vanderbilt has a pretty high retention rate. When you include um, all of our friends and in health information, we have about a 98% retention rate, which is pretty incredible, right? Folks like it here. They like to stay here. They like the environment, the feedback in our engagement surveys, really great. We're in the top 25th percentile for um, Qualtrics, which is the engagement survey that we use. So tools like that to measure how well you're doing keeping folks engaged and, and how well you're keeping your um, your folks that you really like are you know important to measure in the long run. Heather, I was just at Western Region um, for HFMA um, back in January, and there was a leadership panel really talking about like recruiting and retention and, you know, uh, several of I and I was a little I wasn't really shocked, but I was kind of shocked how, you know, in healthcare, we've taken such a stance on like for management positions or for positions, you need to really have a bachelor's degree or you need to have this degree. And it, I'm used to more of an organizational standpoint of like, hey, or years of experience, because a lot of a lot of people have grown up within revenue cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe now are going back because they're being forced to go back to get a degree. But we started to see, at least in that panel of leaders, they're taking a cultural shift on modifying the requirements of the job and maybe making steps and phases or, you know, different tiers or ladder or career ladder essentially within within the within the roles or for the recruiting component to say, hey, you could come in with just a high school diploma and once you've accomplished these certifications or this next step, or you've went back and got an AA, now that helps you get enough points to move into your next, next level. What are you guys doing at Vanderbilt and whatever you kind of start, started mm -hmm. to see what the East coast is doing to kind of address, you know, more and more, even though we're getting great people and being remote is giving more opportunity for people. It's still also slowing down who's available because not everybody uh, we're seeing a lot more retirements uh, uh, and things of that nature occurring as right. well. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, first and foremost, we needed to fix our job descriptions, right? We really needed to think about what was in there and what you're really looking for, for each of the different roles. So when it comes to leadership opportunities, 
we changed, you know, I remember job descriptions in the past for leaders required you to, you know, have an in-depth knowledge of all Medicare guidelines. I don't know anybody in the universe who has an in-depth knowledge of all the Medicare guidelines. Even Medicare, right? right? Except for <laughs> Medicare. Right, right. And so do we, re- is that really a bullet that you want somebody to say, I, do I have, do I have this skill or not? Right. Are, we're really looking for people who are going to be innovative and creative that can work in a dynamic environment with a diverse group of people. Right. That's really what you're looking for. And same thing with those job requirements. Right. Some some do require you to have certain criteria, certain credentials because you're going to oversee that area. And that's something that you really need. Coding is a great example, right? You want a coding leader who at least knows about coding, right? Maybe they have a certification that would be great, but do they need to have 25 years of chart coding experience? I don't think they do. Um, And so, but somebody who's going to lead a coding team day to day does need to have that credential. There's also a lot of ways inside of Vanderbilt that we're offering people to be to have mobility within their career. So we signed up for an enterprise HFMA certification so folks can get certifications. We recognize them every town hall that we have quarterly, um, and lots of people are signing up for them. They're free. They're free to you. Um, same thing with um, the Clarivate modules, too. So that it used to be Horizon Business Insight, and now they're Clarivate. We, we signed up with them. And, Folks can get more um, skills and more certifications that way. Um, we don't necessarily have this tiered approach of, you know, if you do get so many certifications or if you go back for a bachelor's degree, there's some sort of promise to a, some level of, um, you know, graduation into another, another degree. It's really a matter of, you know, you're really positioning yourself to be the better candidate, right? And here are all the ways that Vanderbilt supports that and allows you the freedom to get those certifications, which will give you the edge when you want to move to another role and you're applying. Um, You know, I have associate vice presidents that don't have bachelor's degrees, and I think they're some of the most high-performing team members. Um, the, The reality is, is that that wasn't an option for people always. I mean, that's a very expensive option. And if you don't see yourself necessarily in leadership roles, but you find yourself being really great at it, I don't know that things like a master's degree is a requirement, you know? Um, But I do think if you're going to be a developer, you might want to have some credentials. And if you, and if you just have an interest, we're interested too, right? If you're the kind of person who loves, you know, coding as a, as a pastime, my 10 year old likes to code. She's all into her bits box. I'm ready to give her a job <laughs> whenever she's ready. Um, but getting kids excited about automation and about technology and getting your own staff excited about it, there's certifications that some of these automation companies and other places um, will give to you. And I think that's a great opportunity. You don't have to have a bachelor's degree to go get the certification for automation at MIT, right? They offer that anyway. You can yeah. take it and you should. Always take anything that's offered to you from an education perspective, especially if it's free. Yeah, absolutely. I I fully agree. I I know, you know, uh, Naham and others are offering Mm -hmm. free education as part of their memberships. And I even just, you know, I, I had the opportunity early in my acute world career of being tapped on the shoulder and saying, hey, we're going to send you to Portland State and get you certified as a green belt in Six Sigma and also as a lean belt and, you know, be able to leverage that. And I was like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I had no interest in it at first, but yeah, I'm happy to learn about about it and be able to leverage that skill set. So I, I think if somebody offers it to you, you should definitely take it and or at least be seeking it out. Um, For it's sure. Say yes to everything. It, it'll only make you more valuable and it'll only give you greater skills, right? So always take the opportunity. I think Vanderbilt does a great job of promoting education um, at all levels of the organization. And we even have an administrative fellowship program that's offered to both clinical and non-clinical. As part of our you know, clinical informatics degree program, their certification that they offer through the university, Revenue Cycle is actually one of the um, units that they have to complete. And they're required to pass the CRCR of HFMA wow. in order to move through that program. How awesome is that? So that every really clinical awesome. informatics yeah. fellow now has an in-depth understanding of revenue cycle. And the three that have graduated from it have all said the same thing. 
I had absolutely no idea how critically important this part of the organization was and how complex and difficult the job is. You just got, we got three evangelists through the program, right? That are going <laughs> to go out as clinicians and say, this matters, right? Yep. So you're talking so, Evan's love language right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Valentine's Day. And I just, <laughs> and I, for the last two days, I've been sitting through uh, an HFMA CRCR boot camp uh, for my client. They actually, we brought, um, partnered with uh, a local chapter in California and had them come do it for my full client for two days. So, um, yeah. it, it, you know, and even though I have my CRCR and I do it every few years, sitting in those four hours for two days as kind of the sponsor of it was definitely one of those like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Or, oh, yeah, yeah and that. So, you know, it definitely opens up your eyes to like remind and re-trigger you, even though you've done it and you've been in the industry for a long time. It's always a great refresher as well for people. I would say for your clients that have Epic, you know, Epic really promotes their um, clinician builder program. It would be a good idea if Epic said, hey, as part of the clinician builder, you have to take a few modules of a revenue cycle class. You got to understand how that works because I often find that if you, if you approach something from an education perspective, like holistically, like I want to understand the whole thing, it really does give you greater value when you're, especially when you're going to build, because a lot of those build things that people do in Epic cause problems on the back end. I mean, this, we have a whole, I have a whole career in that, right? Like yeah. if my job was easy and we didn't have problems every day, no one would need me. But having your clinicians who are building in Epic or even some of the other modules in Epic, if they understood the impacts of their build or their upgrade or that little thing that they're going to change, right? It really would cause them to think about claims testing and why that's so important, right? And so I'd love to see, I'm sure that Judy is listening to this podcast um, at Epic, and I'm sure she would love to hear that Heather Dunn said, hey, can you include a module of revenue cycle for all the clinician builders so that they get a, a total understanding of the impacts of the things that they can, can do in the system? It would yeah. be a good testament to a holistic approach to that education. I think, you know, I, I was really blessed when my organ, my former organization went live on Epic that the clinical team members that were assigned to do the charge capture components of the build within their areas, they all when it had to learn part of revenue cycle or they came with revenue cycle experience and backgrounds as well, you know, being a pharmacy tech and how did it work and understanding what their revenue integrity teams were going after them. So I do, yeah. I, I think it's, I think vice versa, like revenue cycle should learn more about clinical clinical should definitely yeah. be learning more about revenue cycle, at least some form of a, here's a 101 or a 102 version of a, of a, a college level quick course. And it doesn't even have to be a ton of hours. It could be an hour long class just to give them kind of an overview of what they're going to be impacting. Yes. Yes. Well, let's run out to a quick break and we will be right back. At Valueware, we help healthcare organizations streamline prior authorization submissions with one platform, helping you simplify, connect, integrate, and automate each part of the process. We take your pre-existing workflow and truly automate it, including the submission and verification process. The best part? Voluware automates your prior authorization processes for all of your payers, specialties, and service lines, not just some of them. Valor is built around you. Learn more at voluware.com. That's voluware.com. Claim Capital is a team of ex-Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. Welcome back. All right. We're going to transition our segment to discuss 
industry trends, out-of-the-box ideas, or topics that get you thinking in our debate here. Evan, you want to kick us out? Yeah, um, for a weird change. Usually I make uh, I usually make Daniel do it all. So. <laughs> um, so as an industry, we're definitely starting to see a lot of health systems out there do this, what they're calling integrated parts of IT into revenue cycle. And we know um, Vanderbilt has an approach to this. Um, we also have some other clients that have uh, are starting to venture down this or have had it. But we would love to know, Heather, kind of what is your guys' approach and kind of what have you started to kind of spearhead there at Vanderbilt to kind of start to become more of one of those industry uh, leading trendsetters? So I think uh, the most important thing is our partnership with our um health information technology group. It's been a kind of a hallmark of what has made us most successful. And our health IT team manages all aspects of Epic um, with the exception of some of the sort of, I call it like tier one build, some work queue edits and things like that, that they don't, they don't need to concern themselves with, right? We have a small team that does things like that. But I think the most important part is it's a partnership on the bigger items, right? Bigger things that we're going to go through, the upgrades, adding new hospitals, adding new departments, making changes, projects, things like that. Um, they are can be nimble and agile and, and really dig in if we have them focus on that. And Revenue Cycle can focus on sort of the day-to-day -day tasks. Um, because there's a lot of those, right? There's a lot of changes that you want to make and small tweaks and things like that. And so it's nice to have um, a small, quick team that lives inside of Revenue Cycle to make minor adjustments that are really in the billing sphere only. They're not, it, there's no integration to other parts of the organization for those types of changes. When we talk about automation, um, our IT group is really more heavily focused on Epic and all those integrations. And the revenue cycle is more focused on automating process within the revenue cycle. So we have a team um, that we've been building since about 2018. So we went live on Epic in November of 2017. And right around the March timeframe of 2018, we really started to think about okay, we've, we've got this great tool and it does a lot of things that our legacy systems didn't do, but we've got a, a lack of staff, right? Mm -hmm. And we really need to start thinking about the work that's not getting done. There's no way in an organization that bills 9 million claims a year that you are ever going to have enough staff to do all that work. You're, you're just not. So your choice is you use your tools to the best that you can, but if you're going to start with automations and you start thinking through how that can help to support your team, we decided to start small in revenue cycle and use some simple tools, some RPA type of tools, and we started to build the team. We did it through taking open positions and collapsing them and creating a developer. And you take another few open positions and you collapse them and you create like a project manager type of, of role. And that's really how we started to build out that team. Today, th those folks report in through Revenue Cycle, and they are um, singularly focused on automation within Revenue Cycle. They also understand Revenue Cycle. That's the other thing about an automation team is that you don't want the same automation team that understands supply chain coming in and working in Revenue Cycle. There is an, an art to creating an automation when you understand the work. That's a little bit different than your day-to-day -day feeding and watering or projects within Epic. And I think because of our partnership with our IT department, we just have this understanding that automations need to live closer to operations than our health IT folks do. Um, that's kind of been our philosophy and it's worked out really well so far. Um, as more and more parts of Vanderbilt start to get um, onto our automation platform and thinking through how they can better use it, they're sort of thinking the same way. You want to have a, a more specific kind of ninja-like team that really understands your work that can build these automations. You can also, you know, um, smaller teams can move a lot faster. Um, and we do need to move pretty quickly through the automation process. It's a small team. And so they're, they are, like I said, pretty agile and they can move pretty quick. It's weird hearing you say 2017 is when your go live was because I remember being at Epic and that happening. That feels like yesterday. And that's actually now like, what, seven years ago? <laughs> yeah. so, 
crazy. Um, I appreciate so much hearing that you have project managers. That is a role that I often see overlooked. Um, just like in revenue, I there's like so few project managers in revenue cycle that I see. And especially if you're having development staff, having someone like this, so the developer doesn't have to do all the communication or like tracking their tasks, like they're getting their work done. Somebody else is managing those conversations and making sure that things get done. I guess maybe a question I have though, just to pivot back to like this whole integration IT ref cycle. What are some of the challenges? Has it been just like figuring out the best type of like project project style or like what, what types of challenges have you ran into with getting this all stood up? Um, well, first resources, that was number one challenge yeah. was, okay, so how do you, how do you work? We were never going to get the money to add a developer to the team, right? There would have been a lot of like, what are you, why, what are you trying to do? And isn't that an IT role? Why don't you just ask the IT people, right? So it was trying to really garner support for, well, I have three payment posting positions, but I'm on Epic now and I don't need these three payment posting positions, right? We've sort of automated enough over there to, with electronic remits and tools that live inside of our EMR that I, I can not need, I don't need to fill those roles. So I'm going to collapse that. That's a conversation that has to happen with your HR department and internally with the leaders and so that's really, that was the first challenge was how do we resource this group, right? Mm -hmm. Then when you, do you go, do you go developer or project manager? Which, which one, which one do you do first, right? We chose to go developer. And what we learned very quickly is developers don't want to be project managers. Matter of fact, they just would prefer to be left alone. Right? <laughs> like, just tell me what you'd like me to do and let me go be creative, right? And I can build something for you. But they're not, they don't want to be front and center necessarily. They don't want to be out in front of everyone. That's just not their forte. And that's okay. So the next role was to get somebody who could do the documentation and the digging and create, you know, we have a, a pretty sophisticated document that gets a design document, right? So we had to have somebody who was good at that creating a design document, bringing the stakeholders together. Tell us what you really want. Do we do we already have tools to do this? Is this a good workflow? Let's fix your workflow. Then we'll automate. That's not the work of a developer. Um, so the next kind of collapsing positions and adding someone was to get a, a project manager, a program manager, really to kind of bolster this. And then you just start adding more and more developers and it becoming sort of like a six to one ratio. Our program manager can handle about enough um, automation work intake that those developers, about six of them in the background can actually handle, right? Between wow. maintenance and then new build. And that's kind of been our, our ratio. I'll tell you the most important aspect of this, developers absolutely to build, but those program or project managers are absolutely critical to the success of of any of your programs, right? So if you're going to go out and buy, you know, a new clearinghouse tool, you should have a project manager who's assigned to doing that. Your revenue cycle leaders are not project managers. Your VPs are not project managers, right? And you can put them in charge of a project, but it's not going to go as well if, if you have somebody who has that skill set. And and I, I work, we've worked really hard all across the whole revenue cycle to put our limited resources and project management in some really big um, areas. We have grown, we've doubled in size. We were three hospitals in 2017, we're six hospitals now. We had some project management specific revenue cycle project management um, working on that. They're, they're some of the most valuable people in revenue cycle. And I think and having project managers, for, right, but and also having project managers that understand revenue cycle and yet still have some understanding of what the developers needs are going to be as well, kind of having that kind of cross yeah. between a little bit IT um, it, it plays a it plays a, a lens in it. I've always been blessed in every organization I've worked in. We've always had a project manager embedded in revenue cycle to help mm -hmm. uh, move things forward. Still dependent upon man, uh, you know, VPs and directors and managers to help support, but they really are the ones moving th the needle and, and getting everybody at the table. So, well, if you don't want to keep having to go back to a problem to fix it, 
you should get yourself project manager, right? Yeah. Like the, <laughs> what it looks like when you don't have it is you're doing three years after you think you fix something, it's broken again. And you're, you start having this conversation. Didn't we fix that? Like in 2019, well, Joey didn't actually do this and nobody documented it and nobody remembers. And, but that's the, that's where the art of being a good project manager comes in because you get those details and you nail them down. It is, it's true. It is a difficult job, but it is amazingly important and critical. How are you guys playing? How, how's your development project management side of a revenue cycle uh, working with kind of that overarching IT governance component? Because I'm, I'm guessing as you're developing, you're also taking every Epic upgrade, you're taking all of the new stuff that's being rolled out. And I can see those colliding at times mm -hmm. of like, what's what's on point, what's first, what's second, so. So we have a pretty robust governance group for IT and revenue cycle. It's it's called PARC, it's Patient Access and Revenue Cycle. I know, super creative name, but um, it actually came out of, for those of you who know Epic, when you go live on Epic, they want you to do what's called a daily graph package call. And they give you your KPIs that you're supposed to hit, right? Day two, you should have built a claim. Day seven, you should see a payment, all that stuff. And that was for Vanderbilt, that was the, the folks who were in that room became our patient access and revenue cycle governance group. And we keep that today. So once a week for two hours, two and a half hours, every Wednesday afternoon, we um, we kind of flow back and forth between the front end and the back end of revenue cycle. So today from one to two 30 was patient access and there's health IT. There's the, the folks that run both the um, tr digital transformation team, as well as the strategic and, and program management team from revenue cycle are there. All the revenue cycle leaders are there. Health IT leaders are there and every, people across the organization, our clinical folks are there our ambulatory teams there. And we do this every Wednesday and we prioritize that way. For the digital transformation team, we also have governance. And that includes someone from Epic. They'll, they won't be happy when I announce that, right? Someone from Epic is actually on my automation government, <laughs> governance group because I want their thoughts on if we're automating something that already exists in the tool, maybe we just don't know about, right? That's why they're there. Our executive director of health IT sits on our digital transformation governance group just because Young's brilliant and he will also help detect that's not really something we should be automating, right? And then each of the different leaders across revenue cycle um, at an ADP level are on governance. The leader of the development team, um, the leader of the program management office is there. Um, and then the AVPs that oversee both of those groups. That's our governance group for automation. Uh, so we have kind of a cross between what we're doing with Epic and then what we're doing with the digital transformation team. We also have a instance of Epic, another environment where we get the upgrades and we can test the bots to ensure they don't break when the whole um, system goes up on a new upgrade. So that was another learning that we did because for the first couple of years, we just scrambled after go live on the new and quarterly update to try to get everything fixed. And then we negotiated with our IT folks to create another environment where we could train the bots. So that's been really helpful. Nice. I wouldn't even think of that. That's a, uh, you know, in the whole world of AI and bots and everything else that's coming about, it's like, <laughs> what does that look like when uh, a new quarterly gets pushed? We're moving to hyperdrive. Uh, next week at my my client, it's like wow, like this feels this feels like something could break, but <laughs> we'll find out. Um, <laughs> and it will, and then revenue cycle will help clean it up. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, you put things on hold and then uh, you clean yeah. it up later. <laughs> um, maybe to take a, a pivot from governance and roles like team structure. What automation are you really excited about? Just like coming from this automation group or uh, the conversations that you've been having that you are looking to push out and that you really want to see the results for? So, you know, I like I like tools and technology, but they're not integrated necessarily. So like is your, your clearinghouse feels integrated to your EMR or maybe the 
tool that you're using to do authorizations kind of feels like it's integrated to your EMR, but there's, it's really not. It, I mean, there's a lot of gaps and the gaps are where you typically have people, right? You've got people who become sort of like your sub interfaces, right? If you think about that, right? You've got an interface, but it's like not exactly fully baked, right? And so you put people in it. Maybe it's a work queue or a report or it's just data that comes back as like a denial or something. What I'm really excited about, at least today, ask me tomorrow, it'll be different because our developers <laughs> move pretty quick, is they're creating automations around those gaps. And therefore, you really do get kind of a streamline effect, right? So I'll give you an example. Somebody checks insurance and you can't find it. And so we've got insurance discovery tools, but they don't always work. And so we then you've got, you know, data that you could collect on previous claims, but then someone would have to do that. And so at the end of the day, what you'd end up with was as an account that just doesn't have assurance attached or doesn't have the right insurance attached. And then you don't have the right authorization and all the things fall apart. Well, automation and our development team can start to link those systems together and create tools that close those gaps. So it's not just a float between all the different aspects until it gets to say a vendor that says, oh, well, actually the patient called and they have Aetna, right? We can create tools that do that internal. And I'm pretty excited about that. It's, I swear, if we can solve the issue of getting the right insurance on the encounter every time, we may solve world peace. I mean, we just, the Middle East might just be like, you know, <laughs> second to none. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that this team that we have at Vanderbilt can solve those problems because they're just excited about that. And they, they are, they want to do that, that kind of work. And that's important, right? You're still using your tools and technology to the fullest extent. You're getting what you pay for, but now you're starting to close those gaps. And I really like that. And I like that the, that we won't have to have people doing that. People can do the more important work, talking with our patients, making sure that they understand their financial obligations. They're not back here working at work queue. So, how how has your team been receptive and that more the frontline team versus your leadership team to the developers and you know not feeling like you know i i think we always see oh you're bringing in technology is my job going to be at risk in this and oh. you know that's the initial fear but how has your team over this period of time now become more receptive and and what are they doing to like engage and spark with those developers as well um so one of the things that we've done for many, many years is round with our staff. So it used to be we rounded in person, right? That was easier. You'd actually, and, and I still go down to the emergency room and talk with our admitting team and our registrars and financial counselors and all that. But virtually we round with every team um, at least throughout the year. And I'm talking like not the bigger team, but smaller teams. You know, you kind of have a team of teams sort of approach and, and our a leadership group goes in and talks. And, and one of the things we talk about is tell us a little bit about what's not working. What's not working well for you. We want to help fix it. We want to hear from you, right? So they'll give you an idea of something that's not working. And from that, we usually get a nice pile of ideas of additional automations that we can come up with. And then we come back and we say, you know, that stinky problem that you had? Well, we created a bot. And that bot is going to fix your problem. Look, let's show you how it works, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, that's so great. Now I can do this work, right? And you get it, it, the excitement starts to build and the adoption of it starts to build because line staff can see that the problem that they brought to you could be solved in a way that doesn't create more work for them, right? And can really, can help enhance what they're doing. We are always going to have people and we are never going to have enough. And I tell them that all the time. We are never, ever going to be fully staffed. If there is a fully staffed revenue cycle out there, I want a leader to call me and tell me how you're doing it. <laughs> I've never seen one in my 20 plus years of this. There's always work. We're just really trying to get the plates cleared a little bit for you to get to the more valuable work. And we're doing a lot with automations where people aren't even touching the work. They never were, but it needed to be done. And I would say, you know, don't, don't shy away from talking about it. I think a lot of revenue cycle leaders are like, well, if I tell them, then they'll be going to be afraid or they'll want to leave. Or um, I think you just need to be really transparent and you need to say, this is part of the journey. I mean, it's not that they don't know. They see it. We talk about it. They read the news. 
everybody knows what's going on in healthcare, talking about it and getting all of those feelings out is really critical. And then you can sort of, you can address them now that you know what they are uh, and you can talk through your successes and that your successes in automation become theirs because it's really their ideas. It's, it's their work. Uh, you're just trying to make it better. All right, well, let's go out to another quick break and we'll be right back. There are thousands of medical offices and facilities across America, each navigating through changing regulations and reimbursement models while striving for positive patient experiences and outcomes. A common element in each of these facilities is patient access, the front line of both the revenue cycle and the patient experience. Though diverse in facility size and geography, patient access professionals unite around a common purpose, enhancing the overall patient experience to increase patient satisfaction and outcomes. Through it all, one organization is there to educate, connect, inform, and pave the way toward the future of patient access. The National Association of Healthcare Access Management recognizes the changing role of patient access professionals and their increased importance. Fine Medical serves a growing base of more than 800 active hospitals and health systems nationwide. Their best practices are hardwired through technology solutions, proven to help hospitals achieve sustainable top performance. Their well-published results include improving financial performance, physician and staff alignment, patient experience, compliance, and patient safety and quality measures. Learn more at vinemedical.com. That's V-Y-N-E medical.com. And we're back. And if you hear the dog, sorry, guys, he just started barking. (laughs) My dogs are thankfully asleep. I don't know how much longer they're going to give me here, but uh, we're going to transition here to the Wilshire Lab. And we're going to start out with the question we've been asking every guest. Uh, You can be as honest as you want with this one. Uh, What drove you to work in healthcare or healthcare IT, healthcare, wherever you you live in healthcare space? And is that something that like was on your radar? I'm curious to know if that was like a desire or if you just fell into it. Uh, Let me answer the last part first. Absolutely not. I did not go to college or apply for my first job wanting to work in healthcare revenue cycle. I didn't even know what the heck it was, to be frank. Um, When I graduated from college, it was the dot-com era. Does anybody anybody remember that? Um, And I applied for a job at a small startup called Athena Health. I was the 26th employee. I knew nothing about what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I needed a job and the job was in an outskirt of Boston. And I thought that was cool. And it, and they gave me a laptop. And so I was like, yes, I've made it right. I didn't know what it was going to be like to work in a startup. It's a lot of work. It's great, but it's a lot of work. Um, and the very first meeting, all hands meeting I went to, Jonathan Bush was our CEO and he stood up and he talked about why we were here, what, what drove him to create with Todd Park, Athena health. Right. And he said, Athena is the goddess of wisdom and war. And this is truly a war. We have got to build tools to empower clinicians and hospitals to work better with payers and we're gonna change how healthcare in America works. That's what you're here for. And if you've ever had an opportunity to hear Jonathan talk, you can't help but want to do whatever it is he's talking about. I mean, he truly can inspire you to do just about anything. And I was absolutely inspired. I was like, this is a challenge and I am gonna, I am part of the, of the folks that are gonna fix it, right? I didn't know how I was gonna fix it. I didn't really understand the battle or why it was there, but I knew darn it that it had something to do with a CPT code and whatever a diagnosis was and something called a UV. I was like, (laughs) I'm on it, sign me up. And uh, through blood, sweat and tears, right? We figured out how to build a platform and how to make it better for the, for the people, the, the clinicians, the groups, the hospitals that signed up, right? 
And we worked every day to just try to make it better, to try to improve healthcare in some way, right? And I do think that, um, you know, they they did a great job doing that. And that was sort of the inspiration. And I'll tell you, I took two things from that. One was I've never stopped fighting for that purpose because there's never an end to what we do. It's a cycle, right? They call it revenue cycle for a reason. It just keeps coming around. It gets bigger. Also why in my career, I've tried to do it in different places, right? So little tiny hospitals, Kaiser Permanente, national groups, you'd think at Kaiser, this was solved. It's not, it's not solved. They're the provider and the payer, and it's no better there than it is on the outside (laughs) world, right? I mean, I've tried from operations perspective and leading revenue cycle to being inside of IT teams and trying to support through the technology. Like I've just tried it in different ways, but it's always been about adding value, about making a difference. And I think that's what hooked me. Um, I can honestly thank Jonathan. Like if I ever saw him, he probably wouldn't even remember who I was but I would tell him, you know, you you made all the difference. You you laid this career path for me. He also, also, when I think about my leadership style, I can also attribute a lot of that to him because I think as a leader in Revenue Cycle, it's your job to every day in every meeting, talk about how you're gonna win this battle. Whatever the battle is, maybe the battle is, you know, you're about to go lab on a new lab system and everyone's sort of like, oh, this is going to be a mess. Right. And you got to pull the team up and from the bootstraps and say, we can do this. Right. Here's how we can approach this. And here's how we can think about this. And here you guys, we've done this before and you've been challenged before leading with that level of heart and inspiration and energy, I think is absolutely critical. And I can tell you that I did not graduate from college thinking that I was going to end up here dealing with the challenges that we deal with. But I can tell you that at the heart of what I wanted to do, it's just to make a difference. And if you feel like you're adding value and you feel like you're adding, you're making a difference and you feel appreciated for, for those things, it, it really does inspire you to want to do something. And I think that's what's needed in revenue cycle is this constant you know, pumping of inspiration and, and feeling valued and being thanked and having it be specific. I remember Jonathan going around the room and thanking each person for exactly what they did. Like, it wasn't just thanks for coming in today. It wasn't just thanks for all you do, because those are not, that's not a genuine thank you. A genuine thank you is Thank you so much, Heather. I heard that phone call that you were on the other day with one of our clients where you were giving them assurances that we were going to do something. And then I saw you get up and talk to the implementation team, call that client back and say, look, we're going to put a fix in for that. I heard you do that. And I want to thank you for doing that. That was invaluable. I was like, oh my gosh, I just got thanked for that. And you heard me, you saw me, you did what, you know, you saw what I did. That's what makes you get up every day, right? So to answer your question, no, I had no idea about what revenue cycle or how healthcare, or I still don't think I understand how this world works. I really don't. <laughs> but I got an opportunity to work to some with somebody that really inspired me to want to be here, and I've just stayed that way. You, it made me. You guys just made me think I need to go reach out to Jonathan. I don't know where he is or what he's doing right now, but I feel like I need to go drop him a note and tell him thank you. I don't think I've ever done that, but. When I think about my life, I can honestly tell you that it started because uh, because I knew him. That's awesome. You've given our listeners a ton of advice today. Um, spinning the question, last question uh, before we uh, wrap up today. What is one piece of advice that you would offer to somebody who's new into their revenue cycle career? They might be a new early careerist, right? Or they just might be leaving IT or even another area of healthcare and coming into revenue cycle now? What's what's that one thing that you want to kind of leave your mark on somebody who's new who might be listening? I would say two things. One is say yes to every opportunity. Say yes. Say yes to education opportunities. Say yes to taking on new projects. Say yes to um, to everything. Everything that you can possibly do. Second thing I would say is Find your mentor. 
And maybe your mentor is somebody who inspires you. Maybe your mentor is somebody who has to say, okay, here's another course, right? Here's some direction. But ask someone whose leadership skills you admire to be your mentor. And they will be very, very happy to do it and be willing and open to what they say. Good, bad, or indifferent. But get somebody in your side that's really rooting for you. And, and amazing things are going to happen. Get a mentor and say yes to everything. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I think we're at time here. Thanks, Heather, for joining the podcast today and telling us uh, a little bit about the love between IT and revenue cycle. For folks who would like to reach out to you, where, what is your preferred medium? And we've had Courier Pigeon, but I don't think that's uh, applicable today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd love to say something really exciting like um, TikTok or Instagram or, but I'm, I'm, I'm too old. Like I just learned how to use Instagram and I'm really bad at it. So um, LinkedIn is fine. Um, I would love to answer any questions and help in any way. You guys had great questions, very thoughtful. And I really appreciate that. I hope that um, all of your listeners get a little bit of something from this. Um, if nothing else, then Maybe it's just an inspiration for Valentine's Day to speak from your heart. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's it for us today, Heather. Once again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And for the listeners, bye-bye. See you next time. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group. Or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group. Experience you can trust. Results you can count on.